0: hello and welcome to the new ears podcast an auditory exploration of the art of the album i'm your host jonathan humphrey today we are going to be talking about the album Aqualong by jethro toll it is the fourth studio album by the band released on march 19 1971. you know a lot of people think this album is a concept album but the band themselves denies this fact my guest today is matt ivy a guitar and poker player who is working on a podcast of his own One thing to point out is that in the beginning of this conversation, Matt promotes the idea of people playing poker, but during the time of COVID-19, that is an unsafe recommendation. So he and I both suggest and hope that our listenership stays safe. Please enjoy the conversation. I'm sitting here with Matt Ivey. Matt, thanks for being here to talk about this album with me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. um, Well, before we get started talking about the album, this is the time where if my guest wants to make any kind of recommendation or promote anything, no matter what, this is the kind of of the time they get to do that. So if you'd like to go ahead and start.
1: Well, I don't have a lot prepared as far as promotional stuff. I'm not as active in media as you are, but uh, I do play a lot of poker and I'd like to encourage people to play against me if they don't know what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, then I guess we should get right into the matter at hand, right? Uh sure. let's let's talk about Jethro Tull's Aqualung. Yes, Aqualung. That's the correct pronunciation. Yeah, of course, cuz that's how they say it every time. Right. Yeah, I mean, why don't you go ahead and start what, what what was your relationship with this album?
1: In high school, I guess I heard Jethro Tull on the radio a little bit. But mostly it was just the title track from this song and Locomotive Breath, which is also on this album. And I kind of just, they didn't really strike me or mean anything to me. But the first time I listened to this record all the way through, it blew my mind. Um, And that didn't really happen until, I guess, my mid-20s. So I kind of like discovered them a little bit later on. You know, this is a pretty unique record. There's a lot to like and a lot to think about here. So um, I guess that's, that's really the time when it first piqued my interest.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense you know the younger you are you're, you're not trying to think about the heavier stuff sometimes. I guess my personal relationship with this album is, is somewhat similar not the end changes a lot I uh, I heard a, a lot and I heard the single a lot in high school and I was like, oh it's a fun song but I never really thought more of it and then I, I think I listened to the album like in my early to mid20s and I was like, oh there's a lot more to this album than I ever realized. And then, of course, when we decided we were going to record this, I, I've probably listened to this album about 25 times in the last two weeks. So I've gotten a lot from it. Not all great, but definitely mostly good.
1: You know, I think there's a lot of like uh, things that are perceived about this album that aren't necessarily true. Like when people talk about prog rock, it's kind of like their go-to record. But in a lot of ways, I don't think Aqualung is really a, a prog rock record. And I also don't think it's as much of like a concept album as people
0: think it is, but maybe I'm getting sort of getting ahead of myself here. Well, no, I mean, why don't we can go ahead and get right into it. I I think it I think it is a concept record, and I think we briefly discussed before recording this. But I'm a little bit confused about side A and side B. Now, a, according to my sources, on the original record, side A is labeled "Aqualong," and side B is labeled "My God," which would be the the first song on on each side. But I think both sides relate to the same thing, but they're obviously not the same thing. I mean, do, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so the first half of the record, Aqualung and Cross-Eyed Mary and uh, Cheap Day Return and Mother Goose are all like, they're all like sort of a, a picture of one person in a story, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I feel like side one is a narrative.
1: Yeah, it's a narrative, but there's some there's some other stuff in there, like Cheap Day Return is a autobiographical song about yeah, I don't want to give, get too much into the specific songs, but anyway, the first half of the album is kind of that, and the second half of the album, though it like kind of reaches back and touches back on some of those points, is really um, Ian Anderson talking about organized religion.
0: Okay, see, that's exactly what I was curious about, because it definitely seems like Cheap Day Return is autobiographical, but it also seems like Locomotive Breath, on, on, on the My God side, Locomotive Breath could be part of the Aqualung narrative. Right. I think it is. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they kind of reverse it a little bit.
1: Right, and that's kind of what I mean about like going back to what was happening
0: on Side A. Definitely. So, I mean, let's let's talk a, a little bit. I mean, obviously we'll get more into the tracks as we go on, but, but let's talk about Side A versus Side B. Wh- what do you get from the narrative of Side A?
1: Can I actually, before we get into that, can I say just a little bit more about the context of
0: when this album was being made and stuff? Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. Because I think it's just important to frame it, right? This record came out in 1971, and it was being recorded at the same time that um, the fourth Led Zeppelin album, you know, the one with Stairway and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, of course. Which I think kind of explains how, even though this is a phenomenal album, I think it got lost in the shuffle for a lot of people because they were like, oh, my God, Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can understand that
1: but when this was being recorded they actually recorded in a studio that was like a converted old church which i think is great for you know the theme of the album and stuff
0: well and i'm well not only the theme but i feel like uh this is something that i that's in my notes is that i love the breathiness when he's playing the flute the way you can hear his breath so much and i f- yeah. i feel like that that was captured by the space they were in
1: yeah and there's a little bit of like some of the songs have a kind of like a orchestral or a choir background thing. yeah and uh so that was obviously pretty convenient but yeah it's it's interesting you mentioned the breathiness of the flute because that's sort of a hallmark of ian anderson flute playing
0: oh yeah and and it's enjoyable too it's very enjoyable and what happens in in those terms on the record like if you look at live footage
1: like it's dialed up past 11 and he's like basically doing like a joe cocker <laughs> level freak out you
0: know? <laughs> oh yeah of course why, why wouldn't he be
1: no, I know, but it's beautiful to
0: behold, for sure. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, that seems to make sense. I actually have some comments about Led Zeppelin and, and some Sabbath. There's This album, you, you said you don't like it being called prog rock, and I, I get that. I feel like it's definitely prog rock influenced or influencing.
1: Sure, it's, it's in the same, like, Venn
0: diagram. Well, yeah, and it's definitely some proto-metal riffs on there. Yeah, absolutely. There's some, that's what's, like... I think that's the primary thing that drew me to this album is there's so many different things going on, and for the most part, they're all, like, really relatable, but there's a lot of folksy stuff. There's a, uh-huh. some really, like, sweet, sort of laid-back kind of love song things going on. But also, this album really rocks in a lot of a lot of places. Oh, it is riff-heavy at times. Right, exactly. You know, on that, while, while we're just having this general album discussion, on that note of uh, the folksy stuff, I have this note that, like, you know when you think about jethro tull you do think about the effect they had on on prog rock and on on metal but i even like listening to this album could hear how they influenced Neutral Milk Hotel.
1: Yeah, there's some pretty brainy things happening. They've definitely influenced a lot of people, but that's what I'm saying. There's kind of something, like, regardless of whether you love this album, there's going to be a track on it for
0: you. I can under I can agree with that statement, and I, I really enjoyed a lot of tracks. Uh, one thing we'll try to do when we, the track by track, is we each get to pick the three tracks that we feel are standout tracks, and all three of the, the tracks that I feel are the most standout, like, I think they're all great songs, mm-hmm. so I don't think, I mean, granted, like like you were saying with the Bud's Up on, the guitar work is a little of its time but not that that's a sure. bad thing that's not a bad thing at all but it is very very reminiscent of what was happening in that time frame
1: oh definitely i mean it surely sounds like the
0: 70s mm-hmm. in a way they do that thing that zeppelin was famous for where it's like not only is there a riff but it's really heavy and it's sort of like dialed up and in your face when it happens in the song you know oh yeah definitely
1: Definitely. And they definitely had this way of establishing sort of a groove
0: centered around the riffs. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about side A narrative. What, Without getting too specific, what, what do you feel is the point? I mean, obviously both sides are reflective of some of similar points, but what is the point of the narrative of side A?
1: Okay, well I'm going to cheat a little bit because I know some of the history here. Ian Anderson's wife did this uh, photography project where she photographed a bunch of homeless people living on this embankment near the Thames River and one of those pictures of this homeless man is what inspired the song Aqualung which Anderson and his wife wrote together and they were uh, in retrospect Ian Anderson's like I don't know why I didn't just use that photo as the
2: cover of the album instead of like commissioning this painting that there's now been like custody battles over and
1: it's been a big headache or whatever Uh that was the original inspiration for the character of Aqualung And I think that's kind of the spirit of that photography project is kind of like what Anderson was going for. It's like, I want to just talk about the dirty side of England.
0: Well, Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, it does have a lot to do with British Anglo-Saxon religion. Sure, and the whole, um, not boarding school, but... um, Catholic school or whatever. Yeah, the schools with uniforms, you know know what I'm saying. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of pretty relevant it's you know obviously i didn't know the backstory of his wife and stuff but that makes perfect sense to me like within and it it does show a lot of things but it also opens up a lot of questions like if you read the lyrics and we'll get more into that in the track by track but even even lyrically there are moments where it's not entirely clear who the protagonist and who the antagonist is in this narrative
1: right well it's almost uh it's almost vignettes
0: yeah i can see that
1: without really like i guess commentary on the good or bad of it or it's like sort of like the song is like a picture of the person. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, and then so we both kind of agree that the second side is a little bit more autobiographical, right? Right. So I, I feel like you know a few more things about Jethro Toll that I don't that my audience might find interesting. Before we start like veering off into getting deep into every track, is there a is there any part of this Any information you want to tell people about Jethro Tull other than, you know, what was going on at the time? Well, there's an interesting piece of trivia, I guess, uh, about Jethro
1: Tull. This would have been before this record, and I'm not sure of the exact years, but uh, late 60s. Tony Iommi, who would later be famously the guitarist for Black Sabbath, was in Jethro Tull for like... A really really short amount of time and i think he was just like playing live with them and he wasn't on any of the studio recordings but there's this rolling stones dvd called rock and roll circus that's like the stones and the who and a bunch of other bands playing live and jethro tell has a song and iomi's performing on it so it's kind of just neat if you people want to go back and look at rock and roll Circus and see um iomi from sabbath playing next to a crazy man with a flute
0: (laughs) well and also like his riffs fit their riffs too in a lot of ways throughout this album Sure. They're, like, bordering on the
1: sludginess of Iommi, but the overall feel of Tull and where Iommi was going, I just think ended up being pretty incompatible.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I was more just saying that those proto-metal riffs that they both, both bands use, they use them differently, obviously. Black Sabbath's proto-metal riffs are basically metal, and Jethro Toll's Proto metal riffs do a little something else, but right and without getting too much into Sabbath, I mean, there you know, there's a lot of in your face guitar
2: on this Tall album, but I think like Sabbath is all about just living with the Tony Iommi guitar
0: thing. Definitely. Is there anything else you wanted to say about the album as a whole before we we take a break here?
1: Uh, no. I mean, some things may come up through discussion. For right now, yeah, I think this is a good good stop to or a good stopping point.
0: All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will return momentarily. We're going to take a a quick break. We're back here talking about Jethro Tull's Aqualung. We talked pretty much about the whole album and a lot of bits of trivia, and uh, I think we're about ready to go track by track through the album. Matt, is there anything you'd like to say before we go track by track? No, let's do it. All right, well, I think we're going to start off with track one, which is the title track, Aqualung. Seems like a good place to start. Obviously, Aqualung is the uh, the single, the radio hit from this album. Uh, I, this might be something I'd come back and tell people in the mini-episode. Do you have any idea around how many units it sold when it was put out? No, I don't. But, I mean, most of them were through this song, I imagine.
1: Yes, although uh, I, I believe that the only song that was an actual single, like released as a single, uh-huh. was Hymn 43.
0: Really? I think so. Because this definitely feels like a single, but maybe it's just because we're so used to hearing it on classic rock radio. Yeah,
1: it's definitely like the tall song you hear the absolute most on the radio.
0: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I'm going to go ahead and bring up one of my biggest questions about this song. And I didn't have this question until I used the website that me and I encouraged my guests to use to look at the lyrics. And people discuss the lyrics on this website, and I noticed someone pointing something out. Because obviously, Aqualung ties in with the next song, Cross-Eyed Mary. But someone asked, is he looking at little girls because he has bad intent? Or is he looking at little girls who have bad intent? Well, it's both. Uh, uh, See, that's kind of what I felt about it.
1: But I think the the primary meaning is that Aqualung has bad intent, but... I, I think it's both. I do think uh, it's important for us to go ahead and, and say, like, Aqualung, what, the, what does that mean? And I think that it becomes clear through the lyrics of some of the songs that they call him that because he's got either TB or some kind of, like, respiratory thing that he's always hacking up,
0: phlegm. Right. So, yeah. So I, I agree with your saying that, that that is for both of those things. Uh, this is another question I had. I can't... I'm, I'll am i have to sit here and find the actual lyric. But there was one line where I don't feel like he goes out and says it. It's obvious Aqualung's kind of a drunk old man. But were they also referencing that he was a cokehead? I didn't get that. What, what was the... Um lyric I'm, I'm look, i let you believe that. I'm looking it up. I feel like it was something about powder or nose that I was just like, well, those those things, but I mean, is he just kind of like a... a oh, yeah,
1: he's just like a, a sort of a gross old hobo. I think what you're saying, um, the lines, uh, snot is running down his nose. Oh, Smearing shabby clothes.
0: Yeah, I guess that's probably what made me think about it. Yeah, I think because they've established that he's like got some kind
1: of lung condition, I think that's more what that line refers to.
0: That that makes sense. Who's the narrator of this song?
1: That's a good question. Be- because uh, I they, don't think they, it's
0: firmly established. Because they're a character, because obviously no, I mean I mean, this is just something I couldn't couldn't quite figure out because, you know, in the refrain he's like, You dear old sod, it's only me. And so obviously right. the narrator is a character within this narrative but the only thing
1: i can see is it's somebody who like strolls through england and the thing is like aqualung and cross-eyed mary are pretty closely paired and i think that they're i'm
2: kind of having trouble articulating it but um you don't really find out what the deal is with the song aqualung until you've listened to cross-eyed
1: mary right
0: right i I mean i think other than that the lyrics are kind of pretty pretty clear and, and spot on Make they make a lot of sense let's talk about the music this is obviously like i feel like deep purple was influenced by the riff of this song
1: oh i definitely think so and um i think actually that the beginning of this song may have been what originally turned me off to jethro Tull, <laughs> because it just starts with that riff in your face and ian anderson yelling at you about park benches right
0: <laughs> and bad intent
1: Right, right. And like it's creepy and it's sleazy and it's like it's off putting in a lot of ways.
0: Oh 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 yeah, there is definitely a kind of sleaze to this song.
1: For sure. And it's it's abrasive in some ways. So I think like driving around listening to the radio, I I may have changed it before I gave let the song run its course. Right. And had the mistaken impression that it just stayed in that territory the whole time because the bridge of This song, like, blows my mind.
0: Is that the part we're going to highlight for the audience?
1: Well, in my opinion, it's the best part of the song. I mean, it might be useful to look at the beginning of the song versus that in comparison, but it's
2: like, right when he says, do you still remember December's Foggy Freeze? And the the whole tempo Mm -hmm. changes. Yeah. It's just, like, just
0: an incredible moment in music. Uh, well, I feel like stuff like that is why they get called prog rock, because that's a very prog rock switch.
1: That's true. But I think a lot of things get lumped into a genre just because people are experimenting with some things, you know, or just because like, oh, this is different.
0: Oh, oh, definitely. And well, and, We don't know
1: what to call it.
0: And that's right? that's something we'll come across through over and over again through the course of this show is that genre itself is a weird thing because it's this arbitrary distinguisher but at the same time you kind of have to have a language around different types of music to fully explain it so it's like ah, oh, it's not important at all but it's kind of important i guess my,
1: my feeling on the prog thing is like th- think in your head of like four or five prog rock bands and what they sound like
0: uh, the first one i always think of is king crimson
1: right and jethro toll does not sound like
0: that no you no know what i'm saying no no not at all not at all
1: so like the sound of prog when we think about it isn't really the tall sound so it's weird to me that
0: when it's like what's the most classic prog album that people say aqualung yeah well yeah i say court of the crimson king yeah right that's the best well i mean what else do you want to say about aqualung individually before it bleeds over to cross-eyed mary because i feel like a lot of these points kind of teether on the two yeah i think uh, we can go ahead and, and start talking about that song well let's go ahead and give our audience just a little quick snippet of cross-eyed mary Now, obviously, the title of this song kind of plays off the theme of the whole album. Outside of the narrative,
1: right? You get the impression that the schoolgirls—it's some kind of religious school—and obviously, the term
2: "cross-eyed" in my mind is is sort of a pun on the cross, like a crucifix.
0: Yeah, exactly. She's looking towards the cross, which or I having kneeling. Yeah, either that or or just in that same. Same idea of it being Catholic school. She has the cross forced into her vision regardless of what she's doing. Right. I will say one interesting thing. Doing doing this podcast, I learn a lot of weird and interesting facts. I never kn- really knew the term jackknife barber. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I still don't know that term. Oh. I just like sing along with it and just disregard that it
0: well not has- It's an old term for an abortionist When abortion was illegal, certain barbers would perform abortions So the jackknife barber drops her off in the morning at school So it's, it's pretty bleak Yeah, this is like, I'm gonna make a maiden reference here But this is sort of like the 22 Acacia Avenue of this album Because
1: it's about a promiscuous lady A young promiscuous lady Right. And now to be fair, like a lot of these schools would have been like what we would call like K through 12 or whatever. So like she's likely, I mean whatever age she is, she's obviously too young to be involved in all of the like sexual shenanigans that are going on, right?
0: Oh, obviously. But I
1: I don't get the impression that she's like 12 or something. No, you know? and she's it, probably like
0: misreading that. She's probably know. like 16, still a little too young for the old men cuz that's Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's I'm, another thing. Another thing in this uh in this song is that and that's why it kind of made me wonder about the girls with bad intent in the first song, is because the line in this song is like I, I'm paraphrasing, but the line is she's not interested in the younger boys, maybe she'll make it with a leching gray. But then mm-hmm. the the line right after that is, or maybe her attention is drawn by Aqualong. Right. So implying that he's not the same as all the other like dirty old men. You know what I mean? Like there's some not saying he's not a dirty old man but there is something different about him right
1: the thing that troubles me about both of these songs other than they're
0: obviously like disturbing subject matter mhm is that you never clearly... The motivation of the main characters of the song are, like, not clearly established. Oh, no. It's definitely a third-person, not omniscient narration.
1: Because the, the lasting question that I have with Cross-Eyed Mary is, like, well, why is
0: she doing all of this? Is she, like, what's the deal? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, she's a young girl pushing boundaries, probably. But I will say at this moment that Cross-Eyed Mary is definitely one of the three standout tracks for me on this album. Cross-Eyed Mary is, a great great song honestly Um, on my notes i say that some of the riffs on here are very black sabbathy like in a good way not like they have this very black sabbathy riff and i love the intro of the song
1: oh the like uh like minute long flute
0: thing with the like quiet subtle flute with the like slow building drums
1: yeah and that first moment
0: where the guitar comes in yeah uh, it's like I don't know what the effect is. It's not like
2: fuzz distortion, but it's like modulated somehow. It almost sounds like
1: Stevie Wonder's organ in the beginning of uh, Superstition. You know, it's got that kind of thing. It's got like a funk kind
0: of... Whatever it is, it sounds great. Right. Right. I love love that whole intro. Like, I I was listening to it before we recorded this, and I was just like, I can't get over how, like, the intro to this song, I mean, that whole song might be my favorite point in the album, but the intro and then the moment it actually kicks in is just perfect.
1: You know, something just occurred to me. It could be that Cross-Side Mary's motivation is... um like money and taking advantage of like older
0: wealthier people because just the opening lyrics about the who will do up in front of me but it's um, like who would steal candy from a baby who's the rich man's poor girl
1: yeah it's like who would steal a candy from a laughing baby's mouth if they
0: could take it from the money man uh-huh. the is who, who would be a poor man a beggar man a thief if they could have a rich man in their hand yeah exactly no yeah i think i think she's definitely taking advantage i think i mean everyone and i mean in a situation like that everyone's taking advantage of every one. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah, nobody's coming out clean. No. 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 Ain't none sacred here. But yeah, I mean, what? What are your other thoughts about the music or the sounds or the meaning of this song? I've kind of, I'm kind of exhausted. I mean, I love this song. It's, it's definitely one of the standouts, of, uh, without a doubt, on this album.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I said, my when I gave this album a full listen, like my ears perked up. The bridge of the title track, and then kind of just doubled down for
0: me. Um, as soon as the build to that flute intro, mm-hmm. let's go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on on this song for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, was there uh, anything else we'd like to say about Cross-eyed Mary? No. Well, I think it's time to give the give our listeners a little taste of Cheap Day Return. On
3: blood bomb, do your soft shoe shovel dance, brush away the cigarette ash that's falling down your path you suddenly wonder, does the nurse treat your old man the way she should? She made you
0: tea as for your autograph. Now, Cheap Day Return is kind of a short little ditty.
1: It really is, um, and it, on some versions of the album you get a track that's Cheap Day Return slash Mother Goose, which is the subsequent track. I've
0: seen that. I, w- that would make me sad because I honestly put Cheap Day Return as another one of the standouts of this album. I know it's not much, but I think it's perfect and it's pithy and it does exactly what it needs to do.
1: Cheap Day Return might be, pound for pound, the best song ever. It's I mean in terms of like length of song and what it gets done in a really simple way
0: it's you know like I mean? it's like eight short lines and it does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, it gets in, gets out and it's like it's really
1: thought provoking and it's like the imagery is everything it needs to be to be evocative without being overly wordy. I just really like the melody too. Cheap Day Return is uh maybe my
0: favorite song on this album but that's going a little bit far. It's way up there. It's I mean, definitely I really one of love that song. So I guess we're both saying it's one, both this and cross Mary are two of our standout tracks, both, right? Yeah, I mean, if I only get three... I see that, the thing is, it's like there's so many moments within songs that are this. I have more have like standout album moments with Aqualung than I do standout tracks, and, if that makes any sense. And Yeah, oh, it makes total sense. And honestly, that's one of the reasons this album is so good for the, the format, or at least the current format of this podcast, is it is an album-y, album-y album. Right. It Right. is not just a collection of songs.
1: Right, but despite that, and there is continuity and flow, but like unexpected things keep happening.
0: Oh yeah! Oh, def- definitely. One of my notes about cheap day return is I feel like the length of the song and the title honestly go hand in hand too. Like I feel like the length of it is part of why it is a cheap day return. You know, I I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: I think so. It starts off on the lyric is on Preston platform, which is a train station, I would imagine. And I think a cheap day return is like a a shitty ticket. You know what I mean? It's Mm. like the opposite end of first class or whatever. I mean, that's just a guess, but I think so.
0: But it also like you can you can take that phrase outside of the context of those lyrics, too. And just like a cheap day return doesn't sound like a good thing. no (laughs) no not at all just to
1: talk about like what's happening in the song so the the narrator the short version in my mind and correct me if you got something else out of it is that the narrator's dad is sick in a hospital and he took a train to go see him and is
2: then going
0: back home I mean that's exactly what I got and he's worried about his father and he doesn't doesn't even know if the person he's paying to take care of his father is doing what she should
1: right but it's I think it's autobiographical because Mm -hmm. the, the nurse asked for his autograph so he's like yeah if it's not Ian Anderson it's like a rock musician or a famous person.
0: Well, exactly. And this is what we were talking about earlier, where this song could I feel like this song was intentionally juxtaposed on side A when it thematically more belongs on side B. Right. But it was an intentional choice and a good choice. But Yeah, and I think it works really well right after Cross Eyed Mary, too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That's just such a strong section of the album anyways.
1: And there's a little guitar interlude at the beginning of that song before the melody changes
0: and he starts singing and there's like mandolin or something going on there. Yeah, I heard it faintly. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Right, right.
1: It's a a really interesting, like if you want to hear a really good song and you only have like a minute and 31 (laughs) seconds, you should try this one.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's aesthetically pleasing. Right. I it mean won't suck no no but I, I don't think there's too much we can say more about it because like we said it's what two minutes under <laughs> right like yeah' ta- short. we've talked about it almost as long as it is if not longer but yeah so the next song on this album is as as we said mother Goose right don't believe they
3: knew I was a school boy. a bearded lady said to me if you start your raving and you're misbehaving you'll be sorry I
1: don't know why it's grouped with Cheap Day Return. Uh, like I said, the only reason I can think is that Cheap Day Return's so short. They just wanted to lump it in.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things where, like, when they were doing it on vinyl, there was the record groove that they're like, this is just a waste of a record groove. But I can't lie. I do think Mother Goose is the lowest point of the album for me. And and mostly it's because I just the the first verse doesn't sit well with my sensibilities. I feel like and this is the first verse. The first verse, like the song, isn't bad. It's just so much of the first verse pushes because he's evoking all these like childhood senses of of wonder in a way, like you know, he's talking about Mother Goose and he's talking about Piccadilly Circus and lions and elephants. Right. And this is one of those things where you know, like maybe if I'd heard this song at a different point in my life this would have resonated more, but like at the time, like like I was saying to you that I felt like at times I noticed how influenced by Jethro Toll Neutral Milk Hotel was. Circuses and stuff are common themes in Neutral Milk Hotel lyrics. So like to me, the way he he evokes these circus ideas, it's like fun and silly and childish, which is just something I didn't like being a kid. I don't relate to childhood as well.
2: Yeah,
1: I can see that. It's like playful in a way that you don't think so are you saying that it doesn't like its playful sort of mood doesn't fit in with the uh the rest of the record or
0: No, I mean I feel like it doesn't I feel like it's it's ideas of spirituality definitely like naturalism and stuff. Definitely play with the rest of the record. It's just I guess when you when you for a lot of people, like this is a an emotional appeal within the album, I guess. It's for a lot of people when they hear stuff like that, they're like, Oh, I'm being a kid again. And I hear that uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I hear that stuff, I'm like, ugh. So that... Right,
1: yeah, I don't appreciate forced nostalgia either, but the thing that I didn't find relatable, I guess it didn't bother me because... Okay, so there's a lot of, like, British place names in, on this record, mm-hmm. and Mother
2: Goose really gets it in, in terms of, like, uh, referencing places that I've never been or never heard of, so I don't visualize it, I think, in quite the way
1: that an English audience would.
0: And That's fair.
1: So I've kind of just sort of decided that I don't get it on that level and that that's fine. I mean, I suppose I could research, like... Hampton Square and all that stuff, but I think what I would get out of it might not be worth the effort, if
0: that makes sense. Oh, no, it, it definitely makes sense to me. Um, but then again, like I said, like, I just found the lyrics hard to get through on this. Like, musically, it's a really solid track, and there's, like, a breakdown in it that's really good. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. just, its just like, you know, not everything I listen to, I mean, listeners, as they listen to this podcast, will see I have varied tastes. Lyrics often play an important part in that, not always, but sometimes, like, to, in my mind, I was just like, what you're trying to evoke doesn't work in me. Right. So. Um, I
1: think the, the Mother Goose reference makes it seem like sort of uh, juvenile.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I, don't, I didn't really come away from that the song with that impression. I, it, to me, it was more about just like strolling through your stomping grounds in England. Wait, wait. And, but the Mother Goose thing, it's like, she was screaming, like, what does that mean? And like, I have a lot of un- unanswered questions about this song. Yeah. But to me, like it wasn't one of the musical highlights, even though musically it's solid.
2: I was more blown away by some of the other spots in the album, so I just haven't
1: really, I guess, taken the time to dig deep on this one.
0: Right. Well, and and you know, we're we're trying we try to stay positive on this podcast, but honesty is more important than anything. And if there is a track on this album I would skip consistently, it'd be this one. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any other any other thoughts on it? Just that I'm just as confused as you are. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well then, uh, let's take a minute and hear a sample from Wandering Aloud. We are our own saviors
3: as we start Both our hearts beating life Into each other
0: Will the I don't have much to say about this one. Maybe you have more or maybe not. Who knows?
1: Well, I think this is um, its another one of those soft acoustic sort of gentle moments on this record. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously, it's just sort of, it is what it is. It's just a simple love song about a guy and his uh, significant other.
0: Well, and that's an interesting point because I read people saying that they think it's a love song and I, I could definitely read it that way, but I kind of read it as a little something else. I kind of read it as this like humanist letter. This whole thing about being generous with one another. and I mean, obviously it could be applied to, to a, a partner or whatever, but he, here I feel like, I mean, maybe it's just what I, you know, this is one of those things that I get personally from it, but I feel it's very much like love your brother, give to mankind, be generous with one another.
1: Right. Well, I think it, it starts off, being about a couple
0: specifically. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Ian Anderson probably has that viewpoint and
1: would consider himself a humanist, and it does. I think what you're referring to is the line, we are our own saviors. Y- yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. which is,
1: by the way, like, there's a lot of lyrically really good things that happen in this album, too. Oh, yeah,
0: oh, yeah, definitely. I was not trying to detract from the lyrical parts of this album. It's just that one verse.
1: <laughs> I think there's a lot of, like, um, the lyrics are really vivid for me in this song because there's a lot of, like, um, sights and smells evoked because he's talking about her floating in the kitchen
0: and smelling. he's smelling, like, the toast. And oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. The yeah. night before they sipped the sunset is the lyric. Yeah, and when you focus really hard on that, you can smell the toast even, like, he,
1: <laughs> Right, and so it's interesting to, to see him try to, like, he's trying to evoke, like, taste and smell and sight and it's just overall I just think it's a it's a really nice just sentimental song.
0: It's not my favorite track on the album, but I don't have anything really negative to say about it at all. Uh, oh no, I definitely I definitely don't think badly about it. But again, part of besides the narrative of this album, part of this album is about spirituality. I feel like that's reflected in this song in a lot of ways. But is this more of an Ian song or is this more of an Aqualung song?
1: I kind of I instinctively interpreted it as an Ian song.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mother Goose is obviously an Aqualung song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But is Cheap see cheap Day Return, I can't pin down. I, it's an Ian song. Cheap Day Return's an Ian.
1: I have this nagging thing in my mind. I don't have any evidence to support it, but I'm like, is, is Aqualung his dad, you know?
0: Oh, that's something else. Yeah, that kind of came to me, too. I see what you're saying about that. Because if so, then it's both, right? Yeah, Exactly. Then again, Aqualung can just be metaphorical for his dad. That's so. true, too. He could be like a stand-in, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things to think about, and this is a great way to show that this is definitely an album. Like, it is, it is not a collection of songs, as we've said before. This was made to be absorbed as a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, unless you have anything else you'd like to say about Wondering a Lot, it, it is. It's a pretty song. It, it evokes nice feelings. I think we're at the end of Side A, which is up to me. So, we'll take a few seconds and, and play a bit here. It's
2: me. I
3: buy a silver cloud to ride. Pack the tennis club inside. the cups hung far too wide. Well, it was up to me. Tires down on your bicycle. You know it feels like an icicle. The yellow-fingered
0: smoky girl is looking up to me. That was a a little bit of up to me. It's definitely one of the more uh, raucous tracks on the album.
1: For sure. And the lyrics are a bit of a puzzle here as well.
0: Well, yeah, the lyrics evoke a completely different emotion than the music does.
1: Yeah, that's really true. What do you think is happening in this song?
0: Well, if you just base it on the line up to me and the music, it kind of reminds me of a kind of like under my thumb kind of feeling but when you read the lyrics it's like the opposite of that
2: yeah
1: yeah it's a bit of a conundrum for sure because who's the narrator of
0: this song yeah that's another one that i i was unclear i mean i feel like this one might be aqualung though i wonder if this might be aqualung
1: before he became aqualung before he became homeless or whatever it was that happened to him
0: yeah this was like the inciting moment Right, because there's some sort of
1: reference to domestic dispute, like glasses being cracked. Uh-huh. And, well, it was up to me. As, in my mind, it's almost like saying, well, yeah, it was my fault, but screw it.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? I can definitely see that. And that's exactly what I mean, where the lyrics, it's just like, oh, this was my fault. I did it, and I walked away. But musically, it sounds like, no, this is your fault. You just wait till it comes back to me. Right. So it's kind of, it's got that weird thing going. It has... I mean, it's great guitar riff. One of one of my notes for this song just says it's fun.
1: It definitely is, and I think it's a, it's um, while not a powerhouse, I think it's like a solid way to end uh, side one of this record.
0: Yeah, it's it's not like two in your face, but it's enough of an upbeat thing to kind of get you going.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm. And you kind of don't know what to expect next as the start of side two. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. You're like. Well and again like if you're following this and you're like hey, some of this is a narrative and some of it isn't you're like well does this take the narrative in a different direction or does this take the autobiographical stuff in a direction you know Right So I guess I mean did you have anything you wanted to add about that No no not a stop in my head Well I think that inside A so we'll we'll give a, a few seconds of listen to the beginning and title track of side B my god oh,
3: lean upon him gently. And don't call on him to save
2: you from your social graces
0: and the sense you're used to. Now, this is one of the songs. I have the least amount of notes for. I feel like a lot of times lyrically this song is pretty straightforward. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think it's worth noting this is the longest track on the album. Oh yeah, de- oh definitely. And there are times when I like listen cuz you know I was listening to it on headphones as I was giving this album several several listens. There'd be times where I'd be like is it still my god or is this him 43 yet? Right. So- and the this two is
1: definitely a great sort of headphones
0: on album just yeah. incidentally as a as a side note Oh oh yeah you pick up a lot of stuff on headphones and yeah. one 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 of my few notes about this one is that the flute solo in the middle of it it's so intense it's a really yeah. intense flute solo and it's and it sounds very classical too but it's very intense
1: Sure I think um if you had to hand if somebody's like which which song's lyrics are the most representative of the album I would probably say this one will tell you what this album is about
0: yeah oh definitely and and without much abstraction
1: <laughs> and another thing that's great is I think it's got it's got the dual title meaning
0: again oh yeah yeah they 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 do that really well throughout this album actually
1: right i mean the the phrase my god is like he's talking about personally like what his view of god is mm-hmm. uh, but it's also like seeing a bunch of like religious hypocrisy and being like my god
0: yeah know? exactly yeah i mean and that's what the thing is is that like i feel like and this is a theme throughout the whole album but it culminates here and obviously throughout the rest of this side i don't even think he necessarily dislikes christianity as much as he just hates the hypocrisy of organized religion right
1: and and this is really where like he first starts addressing those things directly and mm-hmm. you can tell he's like he's kind of pissed off in a way but just to, just to briefly summarize, I think we both kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think he's he's really got this sort
2: of all-encompassing view of spirituality and religion as being, like, personal. Mm-hmm, which and, I agree with. I appreciate that. Sure. I, I appreciate that, too. I'm not
1: particularly religious myself, so I don't fully agree with him, but I do think that um, organized religion is
0: done some pretty hypocritical and well, awful things throughout I, history. I mean, I hate to sound terrible. I, I mean, I, I don't really want to get into religion, but whenever you think about the bad things about religion, most of it's caused by the organizations behind religions. Right.
1: Now, there's there's definitely some um, examples throughout history that lean the other way, like the role of churches in the U.S. civil rights movement and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, but I think what he, Ian Anderson's basically trying to say is like, you don't need all of that. You can interact with your faith or whatever you have in your own way, and that's fine. Yeah, on your own terms. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's pretty much all we we really have to say about this song. I mean, that's that's yeah, what it I, is.
1: I will say it's... It's a little bit more aggressive than that. It's not like, hey, just do it your own way. It's it's kinda like screw these hypocritical
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's definitely angry about it.
1: And like if you want to see some first class flute freaking out, like definitely
0: watch this song live Ooh. because that that
1: solo that you referenced is like <sighs> probably the most epic moment
0: well, on I, the album. Yeah. Well I will say one other thing about this song is that when you think of a very classical, narrow minded idea of heavy metal, a lot of themes in this song come to mind like the few that are very, like, anti-religion over those, like, layered riffs. Right. It just feels very like, oh, this is why they think anyone who likes metal hates Jesus. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it's got an interesting, you know, it starts off kind of slow and, like, it's just got one guitar and it's really sparse, but it gets really heavy.
0: Definitely. Uh, well, I think that about wraps it up to me, but it, we'll we'll play a little bit of Hymn 43, because it rolls right into it, kind of. Sure. Up the high Like I was saying earlier, this is obviously, like, a continuation of the song, My God. It's a different song, but it's it's still on track and same theme. But the other right. the other note I have, which is funny that you brought up Blood Zeppelin at the top, is the, like, after the refrain in this song, that little riff part, it reminds me of Moby Dick a lot. The, the yeah. Zeppelin song, Moby Dick.
1: I can see that, for sure. Whereas, like, Cross-Eyed
2: Mary, like, started with this, like, long intro and then, like,
1: hit it hard. Hymn 43 just, like, starts off heavy and stays that way the whole time.
0: Oh, yeah, and it, it's, it's one of the better tracks on the album, I think. I like it more than My God, even, but...
1: I do, too. It's certainly easier to, like, enjoy. It's one of those songs that, like... Makes me like if I'm driving, want to roll all the windows down. You know what I
0: mean. I do know. I don't know if I'd feel that same way about that song, but I know exactly that feeling where you're like, it's time to rock out and let the world know. Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very, it's very a riff heavy song. The flute and the drums fills in between that that riff. That reminds me of Moby Dick, though. They're great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that riff in general, it's like so simple. It's like seven notes, but it's and they repeat. But it's just the rest
0: in between, and like the muted picking along with the drums in between. Very, very good stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh... And lyrically, I think he gets pretty
1: clever here too. Like I particularly like the whole thing about um, his cross was rather bloody, and he could hardly roll his stump.
0: Yeah, 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 that, that's great. And yeah, I mean, thematically, it's definitely, though, like the lyrics are still more about uh, organized religion, here's why you're a hypocrite. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely rocking and it's kind of like, not every album's this way and you, you may not want to look at this album this way, but if it's divided into three or four movements, this song kind of marks the end of the next to last movement, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's true. But, again, the lyrics are pretty, like, they don't need much deciphering. And the music is just pretty much like, it's a pretty solid rock song. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this one? No, just that, um, I think that
1: this is probably one of the standout moments, or standout tracks, for me. If if I had to pick three, Cross-Eyed Mary, Cheap Day Return, and, and this track, are. uh the ones that most put a smile
0: on my face when i hear them at random. Right, right. Well, i we agree with the first two. I don't dislike this song. I like this one a lot, but it's we'll get to my my third and final crossout track. But let's uh let's hear a few seconds of the next song, Slipstream. God's way to your last time As he held you the bill and just spinning the slipstream
3: right out
0: of the maze and you right out of the maze. Lyrically what I get from this song is just the grading of capitalism and religion together, whether they're working together or against each other, it's it's the relationship of the two. But that might be just what I'm getting.
1: Yeah, well I think just to like
0: um, expand on the theme
1: from the previous two songs about you can do your religion your own way. I think the larger message is like sort of like live your life the way that you want to. And I think Ian Anderson feels like he's been or grew up being told like you need to play the game this way. You need to do things in this way. And so there's a lot of like not even on a religious basis like reactions to that.
0: Oh, yeah, I can definitely hear that.
1: And I think that may be what Slipstream refers to is that path, the quote unquote official way to do things, you know?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then again, I mean, that goes hand in hand with, in the times we live in, religion and capitalism. Sure. Because that that is the game a lot of times. But I feel like for some reason the music of this song always escapes me. Like I've listened like I said earlier, I listened to this album twice already today before we recorded this, and I can't remember this one that well off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, I guess it's not well that means it's not a standout track for you, right?
0: Oh no, it's I mean it's not a bad track. It just isn't very it's not the most memorable moment of the album for me. Sure. And and because it immediately precedes locomotive breath, which is another sort of in your face mm-hmm. track. I think maybe it gets
1: it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, it's right there in between like two really rocking in your face tracks, and it's it's not the softest track on the album, but it it's it, and it's not like again, I'm not saying it's a bad song. It's not a bad song at all. It just compared to other moments, like it, there's nothing that really stands out like other moments. Sure. Well, is there anything you you thought think about it musically or?
1: You know I'm kind of with you on on this track. I I enjoy it and I think it I see what they're doing like flow wise like giving you I mean you you just can't have like my god and M43 and locomotive breath
0: back yep. to back to back. It's oh just yeah. Too much. It it makes a whole lot of sentence in placement for sure. So I mean I think it serves a purpose and I do think it's a good song but uh, those moments
2: I was referring to that really like where my eyes open wide certain spots on the album I don't think there's
0: too many of them here again it's not that it's bad it's just it it is kind of like a calm valley in the middle of this like rocking conclusion to the album right
1: which I think is fine I mean maybe the listener needs that Uh,
0: you know oh you definitely need like an audio palette cleanser and, and lots of bands use that technique and there's nothing wrong with it and I even think Cheap Day Return was kind of that earlier in the album Sure. But I I, I feel like Cheap Day Return worked. It was more memorable than this one.
1: It's worth noting that, like, they don't... The earlier Tall Records because this is their fourth album, Mm -hmm. don't do as much of that. Like, while there's not as much heavy riffing, there's also not, like, as much, like, let's slow down for
0: a minute. They just kind of stay on a moderate tempo and volume? Well, kind of. Uh, I mean, that's
1: an oversimplification, but I think, like, the things that are happening there are kind of unique to this record and weren't really the tall approach before now. I think they were kind of sort of experimenting and throwing things around, and, I mean, they're still doing that on this record, but I think they kind of found some firm footing
0: here. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like... Even even in the weak moments, even in the moments that I perceive or that you perceive as the weaker moments of this, they definitely had a cohesive vision when they put this together. So so even like a moment like this is is necessary to the group, because honestly, you know, in, in 1971, to be saying the things about religion that they said that's For sure that's they're pushing a lot of boundaries. So they have to be it's a balancing act.
1: I mean, think about how many people are members of the Church of England. Oh, God. <laughs> and that whole thing about, like, the bloody Church of England with chains of history and
2: stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he knew what he was saying and that it was going to upset
0: some people, but I think he said it. He didn't dance around it. Right. Yeah, and he didn't. I mean, he did insult some people, but he wasn't. It was. It wasn't as much about the people as the principles, the the problems of it behind it, which helps. And then that makes it a little bit more digestible for someone that might have a problem with that. But I, I think we're we're ready for the penultimate song. We're going to go ahead and play a little clip of "Locomotive Breath" right now. Well, I may be wrong, but I feel like this is the definitive end of the Aqualung narrative throughout the album. I definitely think so. Like, I, I feel like Locomotive Breath is a new nickname for Aqualung, and I feel like throughout the course of this song, trains are a metaphor for death i think so too are there a metaphor for i mean travel towards something that you can't control happening like going towards a destination that you don't necessarily want to be going towards well destiny or fate
1: right sure which of course death is a a central part of that (laughs) is the end part of it
0: (laughs) right but in in locomotive breath the character is not dead but he's on
1: his way to a bad end. Yeah, like, there's that, not. He's, there's a sense that there's nothing he can do
0: about it. Well, well, even the title and that metaphor implies that you can like smell the death on his breath. You know, like right. uh, He's he's at the door. <laughs> it doesn't. And we don't know when he's going in, but he's at the door.
1: Well, I think it's also. It also probably is. Well, I won't say probably, but it could also be a reference to smoking like chain smoking.
0: Oh, oh definitely like a smoke stack coming from the engine. I mean, that's definitely too, but then again, you know, some people think cigarettes smell like death. Right. So, I mean, it, they all they all run pretty parallel. What do you want to say musically about this one? This
1: song I heard growing up because I think this is the tall song you hear second most often on the radio, at least you did on the radio
2: stations I was listening to. Mm-hmm.
1: And I like this song, but it's very, it's like, I'm not sure if stressful is the right word, but it's something bordering on stressful. Oh, there's an anxiousness to it. Again, too, it's like, it's got a similar sensibility as like the pre-bridge part of the title track, where it's like got, and which is appropriate, because it's like the wrap-up of the Aqualung story, right? So mm-hmm. it's got that like dirgy, hard kind of, even the way Ian Anderson sings is kind of, like, really, like, halting. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I can definitely hear what you're talking about. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I do think it's a fitting conclusion to that narrative that has flowed th- throughout the album. and I, And I think it still comes in concept with the themes of religion and spirituality and humanism. Right. And, you know, I think it's a great way to lead up to the, the ending track and i will say one thing one thing that's probably important about albums as a whole but was done effectively in this album is first and last track so before we get too much into it let's go ahead and play just a little bit of wind up This is, without a doubt, my final standout track. I I love it. I love, I mean, it's very repetitive a lot of times, but I love the slow build all the way through the song, then the end where you hit it really hard, and then you come right back to the slow beginning.
1: Yeah, and the part where they hit it really hard is real awesome,
0: too. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, but the whole build up to it is great, too. Like, it's all about build and release to end this album.
1: Sure. The whole record is about build and release.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh,
1: Particularly, like, the... Just to backtrack a little bit, like that flute solo in um, My God that we were talking about is a good example of that. But I think um, Wind Up, again, kind of summarizes the theme of what was happening in like, him 43 and My God and, and all that stuff. It also ties back in the English school theme. Uh-huh. Um, and he references his old headmaster.
0: And, and stuff to anyone like who that. cares. Right. When I, I also like. I don't know why I never thought of that imagery before, but I love the imagery of, like, him saying going to church on Sundays is, like, key toy winding up God. Right. I love that imagery. Be like, no, no, you guys are wrong. You don't have to, like, turn his crank once a week. That's not how God works. Right.
1: Um, and, yeah, that's the thing is I think he finds some clever ways to express things. So that everybody understands what he's saying, but it's also like, huh, I had never looked at it that
0: way. Yeah, like well that one is I mean, there's definitely lots of places on the album, but that one especially hit me really hard. Like I'd never even thought about that, but that's that's pretty great. A wind up God. Right. So yeah, and, and that's one of the things I loved the feeling and the thought of that evoked to me, which is why is it's one of my standout tracks. Obviously the lyrics the lyrics are really relatable without being necessarily like anti anyone. It's very much like this is what I've learned for me
1: if it's anti-anyone, it's his
0: headmaster. Right, but we don't like his headmaster anyways. No, of course, he told him how not to play the game. Yeah, yeah. and we're not for that. But yeah, I mean, and again, like, like we said, it's all built and released in this album, but it, it pays off one final time with this whole song. So yeah,
1: and I think if they had if they had ended it on Locomotive Breath it would have been like way too dark a place to
0: end the record too. And I feel like it's great because this is where Locomotive Breath kind of concludes the Aqualung narrative. My god, kind of it doesn't conclude but it, I guess it does conclude but not in the same way. It just ties up all the the autobiographical stuff in a perfect way too. Sure. So, I mean, it, it's they're they're great mirrors to each other, locomotive breath and uh, and wind-up. So, Absolutely.
1: You know, one one uh, theme in this record that we haven't talked about, I think, is um, the fragility of uh, youth oh, yeah. being like a school-child school age person.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, the, I can see that now that you say it. It was something I didn't really pick up on more, but definitely tie it in more.
1: Well, they're certainly made vulnerable in the first track where they're like the object of Aqualung's weird lust.
0: Obviously. And, uh, and cross-eyed Mary is is a weird, tragic, vulnerable place. Right,
1: right, exactly. And even in uh to go back to Mother Goose, he says, "I don't believe they knew
0: I was a schoolboy. I was just a schoolboy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Well, see, and that's uh, not not the, well. We're getting close. We're pretty much at our final thoughts. So let's go ahead and and close this track by track, and just let's let's get on our final thoughts about the album as a whole and anything we missed. Uh, that was also something I didn't touch on at Mother Goose, but that's part of why I got this whole, like, nostalgia of childhood, because he was like, and I was just a schoolboy. <laughs>
1: but it's also the important lyric there is the modifier, I don't believe they
0: knew. That, that's true. And I was just a schoolboy. That's true, too. But what, what exactly does that imply?
1: <laughs> a whole bunch of things.
0: Oh, uh, yes, uh, it definitely does. But yeah, so I think the album definitely has a narrative, and it takes still shots of this main character, Aqualung, and little pieces of his life around that, while it also takes snapshots of the singer of Jethro Tull's life and mirrors them to Aqualung in weird ways. Right. And it's a big concept album about spirituality and organized religion versus just being a religious person.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting about that is that Ian Anderson himself has like denied that this is a concept album and said like oh it's just a bunch of songs.
0: I I but, don't even believe that. How could you right, say that? Right. It seems a little silly. Now I can get as far as the like the religion thing.
2: That's from what I understand, in his later solo work, been a theme sort of throughout. So it's
1: possible. Oh, I just write a bunch of songs about that. So that's why they all relate. But the whole like the character interplay.
0: And, yeah. Like, I can't do it by accident. Yeah, Aqualung doesn't appear in two to four songs by accident. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
1: He's not a character that you just, like, love having in place. You know what Uh, I'm saying? He's like.
0: It's not Kilgore Trout or anything.
1: (laughs) Right, right. But but so interestingly, because of all that and people saying, oh, this is, like, a concept album and him not liking them saying that for whatever reason, they later did an album, Thick as a Brick, which I think actually was their next album. Um, and he's like, if you want a concept album, I'll give you a concept <laughs> album. This album only has one song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. But, but didn't you say, I mean, I guess this now's a good time anyway, you said you would highly recommend that album, wouldn't you? Oh, Thick as a Brick
1: is awesome. And I think, you know, we talked a lot about like album flow today on like when they dial it up and dial it back and when they stick like a, a soft song in and where and why. Well, with Thick as a Brick... It's all just movements within one song, right? but there's an equal amount of variation. Because of that, there's not as much like, oh, I don't know if I would have put this here or like we were talking about with um, Slipstream. It all, I think it's uh, obviously you need time to listen to it because it's an LP, but I think it's a lot more cohesive. And there's uh, like for people who liked Aqualung, just carve out like 45 minutes sometime and like listen to Thick as a Brick because it's really, really cool.
0: Does it take a lot of the sounds that they use on Aqualung to a to a higher place or the logical conclusion or whatever? I think so.
1: A lot of people think that it's better than Aqualung, and I, I think there's a really strong case for that, but I think it made a lot more sense for us to talk about Aqualung because um, it's more accessible yeah. than even though there's some, some high-pitched stuff and some complex things happening. Uh, I, I strongly recommend Thick as a Brick. You might hate it. But uh, I suspect that you'll put it, if not on equal footing with Aqualung, one notch below
0: at worst. Uh, anything else you want to say about this album before we close it off? No, I think we've, we've covered a lot here. We really have. I feel I feel pretty confident that we, I mean, again, if, if any listeners have stuff they want to add, at the end of the episode, I'll, I'll give you a place to send. We'll, we're more than happy to hear from you. And yeah, I think we covered Aqualung pretty well. I I had a lot of fun doing this. I can't wait till we record the next one. Thanks so much for participating.
1: Yeah. So just as a as a last question, like coming away from this album, because from knowing you personally, I know that you don't. This isn't exactly in your wheelhouse. How would you rate this record? And would you recommend it? And
0: did you like it? I did. I enjoyed it. I'm I'm a little bit burnt out on it at this juncture in time. Because sure. like I said, in, in like a two week period, I listened to it like 25 times. That's a lot of times to listen to one record. But no, I really enjoyed, I think songs like Wind Up God and so- Cross-Eyed Mary are going to stay in my playlists for a long time. I really enjoyed like all three of the standout tracks that we picked. Like I, I rank all those songs very highly for what they are in the genre. I think as a whole, I, I certainly appreciate this album historically without a doubt because you know, it it does have an important place, and I think it is overlooked historically. I would say for my own personal enjoyment, I'd probably give it about a 7 out of 10, maybe a 6.5. I think I'm I'm there
1: with you. I think I would give this album about a 7.
0: Yeah, I mean, give or take some points. It depends on if you're listening to Mother Goose or not. Right, well, (laughs) there's
1: moments that are below 7, and there's moments that are above 7.
0: Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel the same way, but I kind of feel like a good in in the 7 range, give or take, half a point is a good place for overall. Like I th- sure. I think it's, and I, and I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad I got a lot out of listening to it. Like I said, like one of the beautiful things about this podcast is I learned new things just by researching music, not even like the history of what they're doing, but just their lyrics. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, you know,
1: I think a cool thing about talking about this record is I think this is a record that like everybody has a passing familiarity with.
0: Oh, yeah. Or well, at least but, people our age or older.
1: Right, right. They're, like, aware of it, mm-hmm. and they've heard at least this title track. But uh, there's a lot a lot more to it, and I think this is an album I can see people having all kinds of reactions to and liking for different reasons and disliking some parts for reasons for their own reasons. So, like, this album occupies a space in my life that I can't really define, but I, I really like it, and I always find myself, like, coming back to it. It's not, like, on my regular rotation, but... I do own it on vinyl, and it will get put on every now and then, and I'm never, like, disappointed
0: mm-hmm. that I put it on. Yeah. Oh, I like I said, I'm I'm sure those those three standout tracks I picked, when they come on shuffle, I'm going to be like, yeah.
1: Right, exactly. Like, just that, like I said, that first power chord in Cross-Eyed Mary is just, like,
0: so perfect. Right after that build. Uh, mm mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyways, yeah. I I I enjoyed it, and I certainly enjoyed researching and talking about it with you. So thanks so much for for participating. I'm sure for our listeners, you may have already been on an episode, or you may be on an episode later. But thank you for coming here or returning to this podcast. Yeah, man, it's been a blast. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna sign off here. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for talking to me, and thanks to everyone for listening. With that, we come to the end of another episode. I'd like to take a moment to point out that Matt's podcast, Beast in the Maze, is available on most podcast platforms. You can find their contact information and where to follow them in the episode description. While you're there, check out where to follow New Ears and where to write to us. We'd love your comments, your suggestions, your questions. Really interested in other people's takes on these albums that we've covered and the ones we have coming up. In the next episode of New Ears, we will be discussing... Buck 65's Secret House Against the World. It's a really great talk for a really great album, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. I hope you'll join us then, and thank you for listening now. He's
3: got a question, and by way of firm reply He said, I'm not the kind you have to wind up on Sundays To my old headmaster And to anyone who cares Before I'm through I'd like to say my prayer
0: This podcast is an Abandoned Mascot production and part of the Abandoned Mascot Network, a loose affiliation of podcasts for media arts creators and connoisseurs. For more information, follow us on Twitter at AbandonedMascot1. That's Abandoned, M-A-S-C-O, and the number one. Thanks for
2: listening.